With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome along to another episode of my weekly podcast, Soundtracking, with me, Edith Bowman. Pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much indeed. It's a busy old time of it at the minute. I'm not going to lie. I've said that quite a few times over the last few weeks, but it's not uh, letting up at all. Tomorrow I have multiple chats that I'm doing and recording for the podcast. I have Julia Roberts and Sam Eshmael talking about their new film. Um, Then I am off to chat to Bradley Cooper and Katie Mulligan about Maestro. And then in the evening, I'm off to do the latest of our Soundtrack and Film Clubs, which is a 20th anniversary celebration of Love Actually, uh, which is going to be slightly different from what we've done already. We're going to do a little pre-show with Richard Curtis, who's going to be there. Uh, I've got some recorded messages from some cast members and also live music courtesy of Nell Meskel, who is going to do the Joni Mitchell cover for us. So very excited about that and I shall tell you about it further down the road. But this week, we're bringing you one of our previous Soundtrack and Everyman film clubs, recorded live following a screening of the phenomenal American Symphony at Everyman Broadgate in London. Now, I was joined by couple John Batiste and Sulaika Jawad and documentary filmmaker Matthew Heidemann to discuss their film, which chronicles a year in John and Sulaika's life as he goes about creating music in the face of her potentially terminal leukemia diagnosis for the second time. This is a beautifully moving piece of filmmaking. The access that John and Sulaika have given Matthew is quite extraordinary. I mean, you feel like you're in the hospital wards with them. You feel like you're in the rehearsal rooms with John and his musicians. And it's this absolutely brilliant marriage of these two incredibly different parallel lines that are running through both their lives at the same time. It's just a a really powerful and beautiful piece of filmmaking. And what you also get throughout the film as well is the journey of the symphony that John is making. So much of the music that's in the film is, well, it's not available yet, but we can play you an extract from John's song, It Never Went Away, which features in the film. It never went away. Just the same oh. Every time I see your face oh. It's never going away oh. Thought I was a wise lad When you plan God laughs Thought I was hot Got a detour along the way Summertime adventure That's what we were meant for I need you And that's never going to change It 
Extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah? Can you please show your appreciation and welcome our wonderful panel to talk to us about this extraordinary film? Please put your hands together and welcome Sulaika Juad, John Batiste, and Matthew Heineman. I feel like we need like some kind of trumpets or music playing as these guys come to the stage. We should have had a melodica. <laughs> That's what we should have had, John, a melodica. Please, thank you for being here. So, like, a thank you. Please sit down. Your microphones are on your seat, so um, watch out for your bottoms when you sit down. There we go. <laughs> It's so great to share your film with an audience and feel the energy uh, in the room. Congratulations to all three of you. And thank you for being so open and honest and allowing us just to go on this journey with you both. So thank you so much. Matthew, I'm going to start with you, if that's okay. Where, where did this journey start with Zulaika and John? So John did the score for a previous documentary of mine called The First Wave. And we were having dinner one night and afterwards. And John was telling me about American Symphony. And we both sort of turned to each other. We're like, we should probably document this. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, life, life intervened. And mm. he got nominated for 11 Grammys. Sulaika got re-diagnosed with cancer. And so we, basically as we were starting, the whole lens had already shifted a bit. That lens never feels like it's there. We feel like we're there with you. The lens never feels like it's intrusive on anything. Was that? That trust must have been something you had to, to build up quite quickly with, with both of you. Did you feel that quite immediate or was it something that took a little bit of time, both with Matthew as, you know, as, a, as a human, but also the, the kind of technicality of that? You know, I was familiar with Matt's work. I've been a long time admirer of him and his brilliance, but nothing about the experience of being sick makes you want to share. It makes mm. you want to retreat and hide. And so this is a very counterintuitive process for me and for John, especially being the subject of something. I've told versions of different, very vulnerable stories, but when I've been the one creating them. And so uh, it was a real act of trust, like yeah. you said, Edith, and a real act of surrender but Matt being the wonderful collaborator that he is was, you know, from the very first day open to having conversations about what this film was and what it wouldn't be. And that was a conversation we had regularly, um, probably much to your annoyance after a <laughs> while, <laughs> but it felt really important to me to share the unvarnished story of what it means to be two artists, but more specifically what it means to be in the trenches of uncertainty when you don't know, mm. or when I didn't know how my story was going to end, let alone what shape this documentary would take or how the documentary would end. John, was there ever a moment for you where you wanted to say, no, I don't need, need you to be here right now, or I don't want you to be here right now? The shower. <laughs> 
I love the bathroom scene. Yeah. I love that bit where you're giving it when you you're reacting to some of the uh, the articles. Oh yeah. And you're kind of like, I'm a pop star. It's like, and you, I oh, love, yeah. and then you hear the toilet flush. Yeah. It's a great, yeah. So you know, almost. You see, no. <laughs> there was he wasn't a, kidding. There was a. It's true. There was a moment I remember <laughs> in the filming. We filmed for 14 hours a day on average. Wow. And there was mostly no days off. And this is over the course of seven, eight months. So there's, imagine, 1,500 hours of footage. And these storylines that are braided together to create the film, they had to sort through 1,500 hours of footage. And at one point, in that 1,500 hours that no one will ever see, <laughs> I was in the bathroom and I was taking a shower. And then the door just creeps open. And this is after we had those conversations that she was talking about, about what the film would be. I didn't know it would be that kind of film. And I walked, you know, kind of to the edge of the shower and I opened to see somebody actually coming in. And then I see the camera first. The lens of the camera peek through the door. And I'm like, wow. So then part of me wants to see how far is this going to go? Is he making that film? Is he going to make it? He's going to get in the shower. Is he going to get in the shower? So then it got to the point where the camera was right there. And I said, hey, man, what's happening? We talked about no bathroom. <laughs> this really so, and, and then the response was just this should give you the sense of the, the dedication and discipline and also the craziness of the whole process. It's like, I'm only filming from the waist up. <laughs> that makes me feel comfortable. <laughs> I'm only filming from the waist up. It was amazing. So I think it was, <laughs> it was a choice that we all made and continually had to reassess and make and discuss. And it was very hard, but I think anything worthy of doing mm. and worthy of sharing takes um, discipline and you got to decide to go through with it from the beginning to the end. Well, I think from doing that, the gift that you've given us from what we take away from the film and this incredible relationship that you have and kind of what that gives off the screen is is quite extraordinary, really, you know, in terms of the belief that you have in each other and kind of being there for each other as well. It's so infectious to watch. It really is. You kind of come away feeling on you can take on the world, to be honest, after watching your film. I was um, really lucky that I saw the film before music had been put on it. And it was a really interesting experience because it kind of like floored me because the silences kind of penetrated you even more so in terms of that idea of what we were experiencing watching you and then seeing it with music it's kind of that two worlds of being floored but being lifted and euphoric almost in a way as well in terms of working out where the music needed to sit and also for you John in terms of it's your music in the film but there's also bits of score on there as well and navigating that and having to watch it to score it, to help tell the story. How was that for you in terms of knowing, and Matthew as well, knowing where to put music that was outside the creation of the music that's been made in the film? That was the longest question ever. <laughs> well, that was one thing that stayed the same amongst everything changing through the process of making the film. One of the first things we talked about was the symphony as score in the film would be incredible. 
and the theme and figuring out how to make that carry through until the moment where you're on stage. And, you know, I feel like it becomes clear if you kind of have a some sort of roadmap, some sort of foundational principle and it's built into the piece. And I feel like, as we say, the American symphony scores the symphony of our lives. And that's what was happening. So you got a clear sense of where you could place it. And Matt has this this understanding of the themes of the film that he's made. So he knows how to build that mm-hmm. in collaboration with the music. Talk to me a little bit about that, you know, about that, that journey of knowing, because it's also important to know where to not have music, to let the experience live and breathe and connect, I guess. My mind is just thinking about how did you, where'd you get a film without music? I want to know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> who who said you? I probably that? shouldn't have said that. Who, who, who sent you that cut? And, and, and how did you watch it? It was beautiful. When did you watch it? I'm, 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 I'm many, like, we'll talk about that after. Can we turn the, turn the camera on you for a second? <laughs> no. Or whoever, whoever gave, who, who leaked it? Who leaked it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was, I mean, 1,500 hours of footage, two to 300, wow. maybe more of that is just John practicing, riffing, you know, performing. So, what a privilege to be able to witness that over many months. It was really, you know, it was really fun. I love music. So it was fun sort of taking diegetic moments and like starting a diegetic moment and having it lead into another moment or, or, or hearing music and then not knowing what it is or where it's coming from and then landing in a scene in the diegetic part of the, the song. Mm-hmm. So it just, it was really, I don't know, it was just so fun to be able to like play with sound and, and, and lack of sound. And I think, I generally like way over score my, my sort of early cuts of my films. And then it's this process of like peeling back. Like w- the moments of silence are as important as the moments with music, obviously. So yeah, that, that was a really fun process. And those kind of connective tissue moments as well, like unforgettable, mm-hmm. you know, and the use and, and that kind of, oh my God. Yeah. And just the way that that, you know, there's no dialogue, but. You know, and that moment, that such an intimate moment with, with the two of you when, when you're cutting and shaving so like his hair, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's what makes me want to cry right now. So thinking about it, but, but those, that choice, you know, those choices, talk to me a little bit about that particular song and, and why, what it means to you, what it means to the film, why it worked crossing those two moments. Obviously, the song is gorgeous and is inherently part of the wedding. And mm-hmm. so it just is, it's hard to believe, but those two days were juxtaposed. You know, the wedding happened and then she went to the hospital the next day. Like that, that's not just the power of editing. So carrying that song into that scene was one way to really glue the proximity of these emotions among many other reasons why that song is there. But, um, is really trying to, yeah, connect those, those moments together. And I just want to say we had the best wedding videographer ever, <laughs> as far as wedding videographers go. Yeah. You were a beautiful bride as well. My rate beautiful. has increased after this. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I wanted to ask about how, how much the experience influenced the music that you wrote for American Symphony. You, you, you heard in your head that we hear in the film about what you wanted this, what you wanted it to be, what your intention was, what you wanted to create. But in reality, and probably unknown to a lot of the musicians that were in that room with you of what you were going through personally together, how much did what you and Slyker were going through influence what you ended up writing for that mm. symphony? I mean, the influence of it is immeasurable. 
because you you create for me at least I'm channeling all of the things that are happening in my life and some of it is very conscious and most of it is from a subconscious place and then the creative work starts to reflect things and connect the dots in and of itself independent of what my intention is mm. so I can start with an intention and then the piece will start to tell me what it wants to be. And that's oftentimes influenced by the state that I'm in and the things that I'm going through. So it's very much a real force that I've long since stopped trying to analyze or yeah. try to figure out. You just flow. But uh, know that that's happening, <laughs> especially something as seismic as what was happening Yeah, um, on many levels has influenced what I I definitely wasn't what I started out with. I love the the journey you go on as a painter in this as well. So it's extraordinary and just I mean something that you you just look when we see you painting for the first time it's kind of like my god you're amazing. I mean it's a journey that you went on with that in terms of another art form to express yourself and you know you musician and author it's just another wonderful road for you to go down. Did you you find so much sort of a comfort in that or was it just what was it about that experience of finding that thing that you could channel that gave you? So, you know, I had the misfortune of having gotten sick a decade earlier and I had the fortune of having gotten sick a decade earlier, which meant that I walked into the second bone marrow transplant knowing not many things, but knowing a few things. And one of those things was that to try to hold to the person I was before walking into that hospital room, to try to hold the plans, the ambitions, the hopes that I had was going to be a recipe for endless frustration and discouragement. Um, and so in its place, I really had to be open to whatever was happening. As I said in the film, I wanted, I didn't want tough skin. I wanted tender skin. I wanted to feel everything that was happening to me, the terror, the beauty, the hope, the heartbreak. And when a medication I was on caused my vision to blur, um, I couldn't reach for the thing that I've always reached for, which is writing. Writing has gotten me through all of my most difficult passages. And rather than trying to muscle through that and measuring my ability going into that room with the ability that I had in that moment, I decided to try something completely different. And for most of us, you know, we haven't created with abandon, with the permission to play an experiment from the time that we were a child. And so that's what I did. And it was such a joy to transcribe <laughs> these sort of surreal fever dreams that I was having. But it was, you know, the thing that filled my days and the very unexpected thing I've come to love doing and continue doing. Awesome. I was going to ask when the exhibition and where it is, because, yeah, I hope you're thinking about that, because that would be awesome. In June. Yes! <laughs> I hope it's going to travel to here, because that would be fantastic. But that's another kind of beautiful connective tissue to you both in terms of the way that you create you know, you don't, it's not about, you, you don't kind of go in thinking, I'm going to do this. It's about listening and reacting to an emotion, to a feeling, to something that needs to come out of you. That's a kind of beautiful thing as well that you both find. 
Well, and that was true of the process of making the documentary. Matt, you have a great line. What is it again? Uh, I've said this like with every film I've ever made, and they've heard me say it like a million times. But, but it applies to everything. It applies to what you're saying. When, when I was 21 years old, I heard a mentor of mine say, if you end up with the story you started with, then you weren't listening along the way, which is beautiful advice for life. It's beautiful advice for filmmaking or storytelling. You know, don't be dogmatic. Be open to the story changing. And it's something that I've held incredibly close to my heart at every step along the way in my career. And then within each film, within each shoot, within each shoot day, within each shot, you know, look beyond the frame. Mm. There was obviously came a point when you were making, you know, when you went in to make this original film about American Symphony and you, and, you know, and, and life made that take a different direction. Was there ever any apprehension in you that you're going, I, I'm, I'm going to stop. I need to not do this. Or what was it that encouraged you to, to ask them? to continue or for them to allow you to continue do you think i don't think i have that neuronal firing of trying to stop that mm -hmm. i've it's probably the, the, the opposite of pushing too hard yeah. often and but but honestly in this film it was way more participatory than other films that i've, I've made in the past like there were, there was a lot of conversation that we had that we had that we had that we, all three of us had about the process about the story that we're telling obviously you know suleika was dealing with literally life or death. Mm. And so I, I, you know, against my own inclinations as a storyteller, really wanted to respect the boundaries that she needed. So, you know, we, we filmed far less in the hospital, obviously, both for Shulaga's sake, and it was also quite difficult to get yeah. into the hospital. But yeah, I, was, I mean, there's, a, there's often complicated conversations that we, were, that we were having about when and where and how. I mean, there's so many beautiful scenes in the film. One of my favorites is the Simon Says scene in the corridor of the hospital. It's like an expressive dance. <laughs> scene it's just absolutely gorgeous and it's kind of that thing of you know what you, what you were just saying about not losing the person that you were and that's kind of and we really it's 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 a beautiful almost like childlike moment between the pair of you it's absolutely beautiful that wasn't a question that was just an observation and um, Matthew when it came to that you know the hours that you did have of, of the experiences how did you navigate the path of the film and and cutting it down to to what we've what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, it was. I think it was definitely the hardest edit that I've ever done. I mean, just because there's literally a thousand films in that footage, um, and every one of you would have made a different film, probably. John yeah. Slake would have made different films. Um, <laughs> so you know, it 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 was just sort of whittling it down to its core essence, and up until we got into the Telluride Film Festival where the film premiered. I, I personally kept oscillating, should this be a series, should this be a feature doc, should this be a mm -hmm. series, because there's so much great stuff that is not in the, in the film. Um, but that, when we got into Telluride, it sort of gave us the, the deadline <laughs> yeah. and, and the format <laughs> to some degree. So, but yeah, I mean, I think at its core, it's about these two unbelievable humans who are navigating these, you know, unbelievable highs and unbelievable mm -hmm. lows. To me, it's a roadmap on how to address adversity that we're all feeling. I mean, we're living a heavy, heavy time right now. And I think the film is shows that you can still have light and perseverance and love. And they use art as a way to, to get through it all. So it was, it was really an amazing experience for me as a filmmaker to be around them and to, to experience this. And it's worth noting that it premiered at Telluride two and a half months ago. So the fact that Matt was making these decisions 
so close uh, to the film premiering is a testament to his work ethic and his um, appetite for all-nighters, of which you pulled many, many, many. <laughs> How many days before it screened did you, were you still editing? Oh, we, we walked onto the plane with the film. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, just, I just made a final tweak the other day. So <laughs> not, not like editorial, like color and sound. Yeah. Were you guys doing part of the edit or did you, did you kind of step away from that? You know, the, uh, the, the first cut was about four hours long. <laughs> it was, you know, and then there were a few cuts that we'd seen along the way. But in general... I don't know how many cuts were made. I don't know how it was decided what stayed or not. It just became what it became. Mm. And, you know, there was things that we had conversations about ideas that we talked about throughout the process of filming. In particular, when it comes to the music, mm -hmm. beyond that, it was one of those things where it's better to step back, especially when you get to the end of the process and it's about to premiere. <laughs> the edit can be um, a, a very, very dangerous mind game. <laughs> yeah. And I will say I had a slightly different approach. I watched every single cut <laughs> that Matt allowed me to watch. Very I forgot that at a live link that they had. So. <laughs> and probably sent him uh, more unsolicited notes than he would have liked. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to share your most unvarnished, vulnerable moments. Yeah. Um, but more than anything, at some point, it was just fascinating to watch Matt and the rest of the team shape and reshape this film and sort of staggering to see week after week the different forms and in some ways the different films that you told over the course of the editing period. What was your reactions when you saw that final finished film for the first time <laughs> John has a hard time watching the film not because he doesn't like it but just because yeah you know I think like that's most a lot humans it's not fun to hear your own voice on an answering machine um, but we had this sort of surreal experience of getting to watch it premiere at Telluride in the park and oh, wow. hearing the sound <sighs> echoing off of the canyons. Um, and it's a different experience uh, to watch it in a room full of humans. We live this story, but to get to see it through the eyes of other people. Yeah. There really aren't words. I mean, yeah, the, the atmosphere that it creates, the energy that it creates in the room is, is really palpable. It's, it's extraordinary. Um, I was going to start, I forgot, because obviously at the start of the film, it kind of goes before we start the show, Grammy nominations. Congratulations on your Grammy nominations this week as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. What a lovely full circle in terms of where the film starts to where we are now. So congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's nice. I, I like that kind of um, those moments at the Grammys in the film and stuff. It's, and I love watching your reaction as well when he when he wins. Um, that's kind of the nice part of it as well, is that we just have this wonderful light and shade in it as well, even though, you know, it's a really 
tough situation that you both find yourselves in, but you have this kind of wonderful way of, as, for us as an audience, where we're, you know, we're in that audience singing freedom and we're kind of like, yeah, he's won another one. <laughs> and it's kind of like, it's great. And that's an important thing in the edit suite. You've got to find that journey, haven't you, of kind of making sure that, that there are light moments, that the audience can take a breath. How was that? Well, first I had to sneak into the Grammys to be able to film. <laughs> you snuck in? Yeah. Wow. You can get him a ticket? <laughs> you got a ticket, a camera oh. the Grammys. Yeah. It's a different story. Wow. <laughs> you see, it'll turn the pandemonium like that. You let one camera in, everybody going to want a camera. Wow. I love, so you were secretly filming. Give me a camera. You got to give Taylor a camera. <laughs> <laughs> we tried for months to do the sort of official channels and we, we failed. So hopefully there's no one in the Grammys in this audience. Uh, it's but, too late now. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I snuck in as part of John's entourage and, and like a T-shirt and jeans and stuck out like a sore thumb. But it was just it wasn't like, oh, it would be cool to be in the Grammys. Like the film was so intimate and up close up until that point to like have to cut to the feed on yeah. the biggest night of John's career would have been disingenuous to the process. So it was important to me. And I just shot it on an iPhone. But, wow, that's awesome! Yeah. It, it, again, it's it, you know that intimacy that we get throughout the film. It's it's we're there as well. You know, we're right by that camera, guys. You come up and you're you're over Billy and Phineas kind of thing. It's like it's great because you feel like you're totally there. That's amazing. I mean, that's my goal in all in in this film with every film I make is I, I want you to feel like what it's like to be in that room, what it's like to be in their shoes, mm. and like that's to me the north star at every step mm. in the sh shooting, and the editing, the scoring, and everything. It's like I want to draw you into their lives and make you feel like what it's like to be right next to them or inside their head. We definitely got a sense of what it feels like for you to go sledging for the first time. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that scene so much. I love her like, no, you're like, come on, get on. We're, we're doing this. We didn't do that in New Orleans. <laughs> you know, the first time I saw snow, I was 18 and it was when I moved to New York. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah, that was nice to capture that. There was so many first captured in the film like Aww. that. A lot of things. We were talking about this earlier. A lot of moments when you film so much of the life of two people, a family, a, mo a moment in time. A lot of first are captured on the film. You don't have to do the interview six months later and be like, so what did it feel like? when you did sledding for the first time. You could see it. I, the scene I really love that actually portrays that the most is the scene where it's preceding the wedding, which was a first. And But <laughs> you got that. But uh, the, the scene where the theme entitled Integrity from the symphony lands in my mind and comes out of my hands on the piano. And that's the sequence leading into the wedding. And you could see the moment where that theme came to life. That's never happened to me before. Is that with the trombone player? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's ne I never had that happen where you could see that oh, for wow. my process or for anybody who I admire, where I could watch and see when the moment that the, the thing happened, maybe mm -hmm. like get back, <laughs> but yeah. like something like that, that kind of feeling is, you know, it's amazing to have captured that. Yeah. I hope you're going to come and do American Symphony here in the UK. Play it. I mean, the Royal Albert Hall is like literally crying out for you to come and perform that here. 
please. That would be amazing. Oh, Without any power outages, please. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you couldn't have written that if you'd kind of, do you know what I mean? Matt was in my ear. He said, the power is out. And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> he said, you said, what? I don't know when it's coming back on. It was wild because the power went out, but the lights were on. Wow. And the audience didn't know. Everybody who I know that went to that show had no idea until they saw a preview of the film. No one in the house knew because once the power went out, I started to play. And it was a seamless moment because very soon after I heard that the power was out, I just started to play. And what I played was completely improvised. And I didn't know how long I was going to have to improvise. <laughs> so I ended before the power even came back on. But it was enough time for everybody to, on, in the orchestra to gather themselves. And then we transitioned together into the piece. So that was wow. something that I think is very important. And I realized, wow, the people didn't know that the power went out. <laughs> That's how good you are. I don't know if it's me. <laughs> I'm just trying to make it happen. How long was it out for in the end? Was it like, I mean, it must have felt like days for you. 10, 12 minutes, I think. Whoa. Wow. Like so much, <laughs> so much, so yeah. much to get there, to get there, to get there. Like talking about making everybody in here make a different film. You could have made a film just about the hurdles <laughs> of getting to Carnegie Hall to do this symphony and then getting the cameras in there. <laughs> You could have made a film just about that. It was so much you would be surprised. But then we did it, and then we get on stage, and the first movement, the power goes out for like 15 minutes. Wow. Which is remarkable given that you, in the very beginning of the film, talk about the fear of cracking. Yeah. Um, because there are so many things that happened in that seven-month period captured in this film, not captured in this film, that would have made anybody crack. I can tell you for certain that if I were on the Carnegie Hall stage and the power went out, I would probably burst into tears and run off stage. Um, but I think it's a testament to you and your ability to improvise and to flow, as you say, that allows you to navigate those inevitable cracks. We flowing, baby. Hmm. <laughs> well... I can't thank you enough for being here tonight and allowing us to show your film and to chat to us as well. But please come and play it in the UK for us. And so like you have to come and introduce it because it's so beautiful to see you here tonight, looking so well and healthy. Thank you for sharing your story. Matthew, Salika, John, thank you so much. Thank you so much to our audience. Really appreciate you being here. If you want to watch it again, it's going to be on Netflix on the 29th of November. Safe journey home, everybody. Our wonderful panel. Thank you.
from John Batiste's album We Are Which One Album of the Year last year's Grammys that's the title track uh, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtrack and Everyman Film Club with John Sulaika Jawad and Matthew Heineman. My huge thanks to all three for taking the time to join me on stage for what I thought was the thoroughly entertaining Q&A. American Symphony is out on Netflix now and in cinemas and is an incredible story about the power of love, creativity and fortitude in the face of the trials and tribulations life inevitably throws our way. Now we've got a couple more live events as I mentioned at the start coming up before the end of the year. Uh, tomorrow night I've got Richard Curtis celebrating 20 years of love actually and then in December we have Sofia Coppola uh, discussing Priscilla as well as very kindly allowing us to show the film a month before it comes out wow Uh, if you don't manage to get tickets to either of those we will of course be putting them out in podcast form so you won't miss a thing but if you do want to come along all the ticket details can be found on our socials we are at Soundtracking UK next up I'll be bringing you a brilliant chat that I had that I've been waiting to have for a very long time with Mr. David Holmes about his new album and score work. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs> 